Welcome back to another episode of the Business Talks podcast. Today, I'm here with Luke Peters. He's the president and CEO of New Air Appliances, uh, as well as a number of other job descriptions. So I'm sure we'll get into that. But without further ado, Luke, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Looking forward to it. And uh Cool to have you in person here. Yeah, yeah. I, for those that don't know, I'm actually in his studio because um, he has his own podcast, which I'm sure we'll cover at least briefly uh, with the amount of time we have today. Um, and so I guess starting out, you know, who's Luke Peters? How did you become, how did you end up where you're at? Um, and we'll probably dive into that a little bit. Oh man, that's a broad one. I'm, I'm a, well, before I started newer, I was known as the donut man because my parents had a donut shop. So, <laughs> so I grew up, uh, in a big family in Fountain Valley, California, making donuts and just working and um, just delivering newspapers and just, you know, scrappy 80s childhood of, of working in entrepreneurship and, and then uh, uh, actually um, learned how to clean pools. So then had my own pool okay. route. So started a pool business. So I'm, you know, that, that's a fun job. I was in an old uh, Toyota two-door pickup truck that got like 35 uh-huh. miles of the gallon, little tiny, one of those little tiny ones, stick shift, and uh, driving all over Orange County, cleaning pools uh, in a tank top and flip-flop. So that was a lot of fun for yeah. kind of like that. That was my college job. So I paid for college mm-hmm. doing that. Um, graduated from Long Beach State with a degree in microbiology. Kind of took a long time to do that. Went to, I always joke that I got a uh, PhD from Orange Coast College because I, I was like, man, I don't know what to study. So I took everything in like the natural sciences and... <laughs> you know, anatomy, physiology, cadaver lab, like everything. Cause I'm like, all right, I, I maybe I'll go pre-med or whatever the case, the plan was, but I took so long, spent too much time with some surf trips in New Mexico <laughs> that by the time I actually got my <laughs> microbiology degree, I'm like, I was married and I think, and then we had a kid at the time, first daughter. And I was like, well, I better actually work. So. <laughs> <laughs> I probably need to find a job yeah. and stop surfing slightly. Exactly. Or at least cut back on that. Yeah. I saw uh, on your LinkedIn that you're, you were a hazardous waste scientist. Yep. For a brief period of time. Yeah. yeah. That, so, that, that was, that was, so I, so I got that degree in micro and right out of school, um, went and worked for like a branch of the EPA and I was a hazardous waste scientist and I was working uh-huh. on some pretty fun projects. Uh, Topak, which is, um, PG and E project out in the desert, which is, uh, is, um, basically the same project as, or, or not the exact site, but the same situation is the project for the Aaron Brockovich movie, which mm-hmm. was back in, you know, I don't know when that movie was like, late eighties, early nineties, but it was like a, it was a movie about Chrome six contamination and kids getting cancer and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually working on another contaminated site that was, um, out that was basically right as you cross the, um, Colorado river, um, in a area called Topak, which Mm -hmm. is just like South of Laughlin. So that was, it was, it was, um, fun. Like I learned a lot, but it was also, you know, government work. So it was pretty boring and and could be stale. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And then what, led you from that into really all the different things that you do now? Yeah. Maybe where did those start? So my little brother, I have to give him credit. He was um, driving a really nice car. It didn't even finish college and was selling electronic uh, computer parts online. Okay. So that's where it began. Yeah. So I saw him and, and, and then I'm like, driving an hour or more up to Glendale. So Huntington Beach to Glendale, okay, going mm-hmm. on the five freeway on my little truck. Um, that was hazardous enough and, <laughs> and, and could be, and we were by Dodger Stadium. So on the way home, it could be a nightmare to get home. Yeah. And he's, you know, zipping around town. Uh, you know, he's probably like, so at this time I was probably uh, like 25, 26. And, you know, he's like 20, 20, whatever, however, I don't even know, 21 or something like yeah, 20 or something like that. And he's, you know, got, 
got this business with a business partner of his. And, and I'm like, well, there's, I got to learn what's going on here. And so I basically kind of learned some SEO, worked with him a little bit and he, and he taught me some good stuff. And then I just got burned the midnight oil and learned some SEO on the side and, and then just did some research and found out that portable air conditioner was a great category at the time, 2001, mm-hmm. 2002. And, um, just like figured it out from there. And that became new air. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. And that's been, New Air's been around for, is it 22 years? No, so 2001. Okay. So, yeah, coming up on 18 years. Here. 18 years. Yep. Okay, great, great. And so yep. you've been running that ever since? Yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, what have been some of the challenges that you've had in that space? I, I mean, we talked about it on the way up here to your studio. That yeah. It's a pretty competitive space. So Yeah, endless challenges. <laughs> endless, okay. You have, uh, you've got challenges. I mean, where, where do you even start? But yeah, but anytime you're growing a business from zero there, mm-hmm. to something, that's always really hard to kind of just get yeah. the ball moving. Then you get the ball moving and, and you got momentum. And, and at the beginning though, I didn't, I guess the first challenge was that even though I was, um, you know, I like from a childhood, we had hard work built into you know our family. So yeah. I was a hard worker, but I didn't have the business background. Okay. I had the microbiology background, the science background, um, and I had working background, but not business background. So just mm-hmm. learning like the right ways to operate a business. I mean, that took me forever just because I was too focused on kind of the numbers and optimizing things and the marketing, like that's the stuff I loved. What I didn't love was, you know, the accounting and, and all of the back end stuff yeah. that has to happen with a company. So those are a lot of learnings. And then just as you grow a company from every from size, you know, zero million, zero, then 10 million, then 20, you kind of go through certain, um, barriers and changes along the way where a lot of things have to change within a company. So though, you know, through that, you learn a ton, you learn different teams you have to build that you didn't need when you were 10 or 20 people that you got to have when you're 40. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so there's just so many things throughout that. Yeah. So there's an element of, as you're growing the company, of course, to build a team around you that maybe does better at the things that you naturally hate to do anyways. Yeah. yeah. So, so what happened, I mean, it, it's pretty common, but everybody goes through it, but you basically become more specialized. Mm-hmm. You know, you start with a small company, everybody's kind of doing a little bit of everything. And then you need to bring like, you know, somebody in like your right hand to kind of run the business. And then you need, and then even that person can change along the way. And then you have to, uh, you know, figure out a really good accounting department, which at the beginning maybe isn't your focus because your focus is just sell stuff mm-hmm. and figure out, you know, how to actually, you know, create happy customers and understand what the customer wants. Like that's what the whole focus is. And then later on, you got to figure out these other things. Be- and then, and then as you get bigger, then you got to deal with regulations. Mm-hmm. So we're, we've seen a lot of that yeah. in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I could definitely see a, a bunch of issues. I feel like California with regulations is worse than normal too, even though you're, I'm sure, shipping all across the nation. Yeah. Uh, typically, California tends to be one of the hardest. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's actually kind of sad because the reg- what the regulations do is they kind of help companies, bigger, bigger companies monopolize, like the big ones. Oh, uh, yeah, I know? could see that, yeah. And, and then the ones like us and the small and the medium really get hurt by the regulations in a bad way. I mean, there, there's so many examples of where they're able to, uh, it actually kind of helps create a moat for those big companies because it's so hard to get into certain areas. Or like, for example, right now, as, a, as, as an example, a lot mm-hmm. of companies don't want to sell online anymore because yeah. of the um, Supreme Court Wayfair tax law that just okay. passed. So now small companies, I mean, little tiny companies may have no tax implication, but once you're like a million dollars, which 
honestly isn't that big. You know, the person, people who don't have a business think a million's a lot, but you, you, there's not a lot of profit generated when you're a million, you got, especially at a product company. Mm-hmm. But even at a million dollars, now you've got to potentially file tax returns in different states and have compliance for sales tax in different states. Mm-hmm. And just doing that alone, it makes people not want to get into that business. Yeah. It's, it's gotten that. So that's just one example. There's many more, but yeah. that would be an example of, of, uh, you know, these are going to be things that economists and politicians won't even know is actually holding back the economy, but it's because of these regulations that are in. That's so interesting. So interesting to think about. And cause I work with a lot of companies kind of in that size space, very different, you know, I mean, some do, you know, coatings for, you know, military contracts on airplanes and helicopters, others do, you know, marketing and sales and those types of things. So, you know, I see the inner workings of all those companies, but all those companies are that size. And so, you know, it, it makes sense that the politicians and whatnot might be steering things in a direction that benefits, you know, their constituents probably more than anything else. But so what all does new air do? I think, you know, some people listening to it might be like, Oh, I had, you know, one of their AC units or I have one of their AC units, but what, what products do you guys offer? And maybe what are some of the challenges unique to each product as well? Yep. So, and, and that mix has changed along the years. So now we're really becoming a leader in, in the wine and the beverage category in the, okay. in the beer mm-hmm. and it, which is a lot of fun, obviously it's just a fun category to be in and think about how you can make a better cooler and, and work on cool sh- uh, shelving and, and, uh, different, um, features that the consumer wants Yeah, and working really close with the factory partners. So wine and beer is a great area, but then we also do a lot of ice and we have some fun, innovative, um, portable ice makers coming out. Oh, cool. We do, uh, some heating and then we do some cooling products, the evaporative coolers, um, fans, misting fans and portable air conditioners. Um, and then there's a couple of other miscellaneous categories that we're in as well. Yeah. Kitchen appliances yep. and whatnot as well. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so do you feel like in one sense you're, you're, at a disadvantage, not being BP or one of these large, large organizations where you're able to maybe legislate what you want to see happen to contain the competition, but being a smaller company, at least in comparison to them, uh, do you feel like that's advantageous for you when you want to design something a little bit differently because you can directly say, no, we want to make the shelves like this because we feel like, are you able to kind of bend that curve quicker in what the customer and consumer wants? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, like as an example, I mean, we can we can innovate products really quick. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, they're going to have a lot of advantages because a larger company is going to have scale. But on a, a smaller company, um, hopefully people's input is a bigger contribution to the company's success. So the, the senior leadership here is like direct input on the outcomes of the company, which mm-hmm. is, is fun to be a part of. And then I get yeah. to work closely with that team. And then uh, as an example, we're coming up with a beer froster. So these are, so we're pretty quick. Nobody has a product like the ones that we're going to bring to market. They're going to get the beer down to 23 degrees. Um, they're fun to talk about and talk to our, um, retail partners with mm-hmm. and things like that at a larger company might be a little bit slower to market. That would be an example. That and, sense, and also yeah. just, you know, we'll go to the factories and we'll go all over China and the team that goes there is able to be really entrepreneurial themselves and scout out products that they want and make the call if we're going to, you know, bring in a product. Like there's yeah. that level of, of, uh, flexibility exactly. and, and quickness to yeah. it. Yeah. No, absolutely. There's not, there's not really a hierarchy to yep. go through yep. like there would be. Less of Very yep. cool. So, you know, we keep saying you're a small company. I mean, in one sense, compared to the people that you're competing, competing against, that totally makes sense. But 
I mean, I don't think you're really a small company in, in the way that some people might be thinking. So could you give me an idea, maybe how many people do you employ? What, you know, what, what's kind of your mission and goal over the next couple of years, that type of thing? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we, we're, we're around 50 in-house and we also kind of have some um, outsourced departments as well. So, mm-hmm. um, and then the building that we're in is about 115,000 square feet distribution center here in Cypress, California, uh, full of product. So yeah, so I guess mi- mid-size is fine. Okay, yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. And so what are, uh, what, obviously, I feel like you couldn't just sit still and stay in just new air. So you started another venture and some other things that seem to correspond with that venture. So would you mind telling us kind of the other company that you started and then we'll get in your podcast as well? Absolutely. Yeah. So I started a company called retail band Mm -hmm. and, um, basically what we do is we, we feel we're pretty strong in the marketing side and the, and how to sell online. And so Mm -hmm. if you think of this space, you think of a product, you know, I got like a mouse here. It's not the best example, but, but most people know how to sell like 10 years ago, most companies, because they were already selling in stores, they know how to sell into the stores. And it's mm-hmm. a totally different sales pro- process. They're selling truckloads of a product into stores, whether it's electronic stores or Home Depot or Lowe's or Target or whatever the case is. And that business is more exciting because it's millions of dollars per SKU mm-hmm. versus shipping one item at a, out at a time for an e-commerce business. Yeah. Totally different business, right? So most people they know, uh, that we come up against in the home and hardware categories and housewares, they're, they want that in-store business. But we, I started the business as a direct-to-consumer brand, and now we've switched and we sell into Home Depot, Wayfair, you know, Target, um, Walmart, all of those other dot-coms. And so we've become really good at selling into those dot-coms. And most people along the way, they don't know how to do that. They know they're good at selling in-store, but they, mm-hmm. they don't know how to do that online. Now, they may know Amazon, but there are agencies to help you on Amazon, but there is really no agency to help you sell into Home Depot.com, Wayfair.com, and, and help you with product strategy and branding at the same time. And mm-hmm. then we mix in influencer marketing for your product launches. So you put all that together, and we're, we're a consultancy slash agency that can help you grow your business in all of the online big box channels. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And then that led to you starting page one. Right? Yeah. So then I, so I have a podcast called page one podcast with the number one. And, um, basically it's all focused in the housewares and consumer products category. And I'm interviewing people in that category or, um, investment bankers or, um, IP attorneys that are kind of just in that category. And it's a really, again, it's a pretty niche category. We go to the houseware show in uh, Chicago is every March, and uh, I don't know why they picked March, by the way. They could have like backed it up a couple months, but but it's in, in, in March every year. And it's even though 70,000 people go there, it's a tight-knit community because everybody goes, it's like the number one show for our category. And that would be kind of the perspective, you know, listener of this uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. And that's been going good. I know we've discussed that a little bit as well. Um, yep. So stepping back, you know, thinking of the listeners that tend to listen to this podcast are are typically business leaders. So those maybe in HR finance or the executive team, sometimes obviously those blend together. Uh, What would be some advice that you would give to them? Um, They're in an organization, maybe kind of in the same type of industry in, you know, logistics, warehouse, manufacturing, shipping, uh, fulfillment, marketing, you kind of, your company does everything. So is there something that 
maybe a, an opinion that you hold that you don't see being very common. You being the CEO, you know, we walked around, you were waving and saying hi to everybody. You know, I have walked through businesses before with the CEO and that does not happen. You know, is there something that you feel like you do differently that helps maybe internally with the new air team? Um, okay. So yeah, for sure. I mean, we have a company newsletter, we do monthly lunches, uh, sporting teams, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of events over here at the company. We actually just, uh, won award for, um, best place to work for. So I can't tell you who it's from because oh, okay. there's going to be an announcement on that later on and we're not supposed to be able to say who, Sure, but, uh, but yeah, so we were working hard to really create a great culture here and, uh-huh. um, most of the, we're not, we're not there yet, but the little things like we've rolled out what are called OKRs. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And that's objective and key result. It's like a, it's like a goal planning exercise, mm-hmm. yeah. but everybody, most everybody at the company is involved in that. And most everybody at the company can see my OKRs. So, mm-hmm. so we're, we're trying to create this transparent, um, environment here. So kind of like a, an accountability tracking system, but maybe not so much a system that everybody feels like it's just everyone looking over everyone's shoulder is kind of what you're aiming for. Yeah. Well, it's really about transparency. Like everybody should have goals and we should all be accountable for achieving something. And, but the goal should come up from, um, from the team, not Mm -hmm. top down. That's the whole point of it. So I guess, uh, now this is a work in progress. We're not experts at it, but it, it can take companies a long time to transition to this process. And we're kind of in the, in the middle of doing it. I mean, we've been doing it from the, from like Q1 of this year. Uh huh. And uh, yeah, that's something that, I don't know, I guess if the question is about culture, um, we do our best, you know, none of us are perfect, but I think if you, you know, if you care about people Mm -hmm. and you make, and you act that way and you want the best for people at the same time, you know, it's a business and we have to like move forward. So there's always that back and forth, but I think just trying to being really transparent with people is the best thing. Cause like if there's tough decisions and, and you just tell them, then it's a lot better than uh, kind of doing it, you know, uh, ways that other companies might handle those situations. Yeah. And my thought is, is that you've probably crossed paths multiple times with, you know, other business owners um, out there, other CEOs, et cetera. Is there something that you see them doing wrong or doing differently that you're like, uh, that's not the best way of going about it? Is there an opinion that you hold in that area where, you know, if I was starting a business and, and was running it, you know, what kind of advice, what would be like your three things? And I know I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, so sure. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what though? I'll, I'll answer that for sure. But I would say I look at it differently because I'm, I'm pretty, uh, like I, I try not to have an ego about that stuff because uh-huh. I usually go, I would usually look at it a different way. What can I learn from this person? Okay. Okay. So yeah. I'm, so I'm working with somebody, so I get a chance to do that with retail band mm-hmm. and, um, I'm at, you know, other business owners on their premise and, and checking out what they do. And, and definitely I can find holes. Yeah. But I was at someone and there's all kinds of areas I could help this person. But at the same time, their company was making a lot of money and yeah. they're very, very successful. And, um, and they've been doing that for a long time. So, Hey, there's, there's different ways to get to that success. It's not just my way to get there, Yeah, but I still can help them because yeah. they, because they don't know the digital side. Right. And they, mm-hmm. and they may know another side. And so I think I would, I would say, so to your question, um, uh, man, I mean, I'm not trying, listen, I would, I would say a lot of people are doing things so well and I don't look at, go into a company and say, oh man, I can turn this thing around. That's, that's not my attitude. Mm -hmm. But I would say that one thing I think that myself and even the team here is good at is that we're, um, very curious. So we want to learn, we'll go someplace and, and try to say, well, how are they doing that? And kind of pick the best thing. So I think we're good at that. Where like a lot of times companies might be 
too rigid in how they think. Mm-hmm. Okay, that would be. And then the other one is just thinking about marketing um, and products and branding. I know a lot of like the younger companies and millennial companies are doing this really good. They're branding, mm-hmm. but a lot of the um, more established companies are they they may have their one sales channel, but they're not. Um, they should try to be everywhere they can online as long as it doesn't cause a lot of channel conflict because then you're going to get more eyeballs and free branding for your product. Yeah. So that, that's probably the big, that that's where we help people with retail bands. So, you know, somebody is like really good at selling affiliate sales or someone's like really good at just selling direct to consumer. And, and, I, and, and then I might say, look, you should also sell it on Home Depot and Wayfair mm-hmm. and just change your pricing model. So it works for everybody. But I mean, they're getting a ton of eyeballs. They're I guarantee you they're probably better at advertising than you are. Mm-hmm. You still need to keep your community because that's important for a direct-to-consumer brand, but you you can do that and still sell on all of these other sites. And now when somebody goes to Google, they're going to find your product everywhere, not just yeah. your marketing. These other companies are going to be spending ad dollars on your product. Yeah. It's just going to help your brand. So that's the like a strategic That's, decision that makes a lot of sense you know because i don't know as much about the industry i'm starting to figure it out as you're kind of yeah. walking me through it but it makes sense because if i google something or a company of some sort and i'm looking to buy a product i'm usually going to go to wayfair i'm going to see wayfair or amazon and i'm going to go to that even if their page is there honestly it's the shipping and all that that just gets me wayfair already knows my name it already has my address it already has my billing information everything same for amazon so the convenience is there. The shipping is there. It's already built in. Do I really want to go to a new website? Maybe one that I don't even know if I can trust, right? Put in my credit card information and order something when nine times out of 10, I'm going to, I'm going to end up going to the main page. And nine times out of 10, that's going to be the first couple searches anyways, is the big names I'm assuming, right? When you Google search any product, if I want to buy air conditioner, it's going to be those, those companies that have the high volume of hit rate as well as probably spend a lot on the marketing dollars to get it at the top of the Google search. And my website might be page number three, you know, if I'm lucky, I'm assuming. Exactly. And, and, and I think honestly, it's, I think people are kind of kidding themselves that they can outcompete those guys. Yeah. Now where you can win is if your product is totally unique, you know, mm-hmm. you've got something on the market that Niche, nobody yeah. has. Yeah. And then, and, and you can win or, or maybe if you're a brand like Yeti and you want to protect yourself, they're like an incredible brand or trigger yeah. or somebody like that. But so, but even those brands like a Traeger, like they're inside Home Depot or, or, or Lowe's or, you know, I mean, they have partnerships with these large big, or, and I was actually just at Dick's and Traeger was inside Dick's. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Yeti was in there, you know, so these brands, even though they're incredible brands and they built these audiences and they sell direct to consumer and that's a big focus, that's, I guarantee you, not the majority of their sales. Yeah. And, um, and I think some new brands are coming out that are trying to win that way. And it's, it's yeah. hard. I mean, I think their ad spend is so big that they've, they can get a lot of investors behind it, but it's hard to, uh, you know, get profitable. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I think Yeti being a good example, you know, if Yeti only sold, you know, direct to consumer via online on their own platform or even on multiple platforms, you know, I think of it, I think I own four Yetis now. One was given to me by the company I work for, but the other three we bought in store. And yet I love the brand, but I mean, if I'm walking through and Arctic's in there, I'm just going to buy Arctic because it's more of an impulse buy at that time. It's like, oh, I've needed one of these. Or, you know, you always need to have each size. So then it's like, oh, I need this one for my water. And, you know, so it does make a lot of sense that you have to be very 
aware of the fact that even if you own that space or you feel like you own that space, like Yeti in, in most people in mind, they own that space. If you're not in all the places where they're going to see you, it doesn't matter at the end of the day is kind of what you're saying, right? It, yeah. You have to have that saturation. You have to be in all places in front of the consumer. Yeah. I mean, and there's going to be somebody, some reason somebody won't want to do that. You know, there, there could be a company purposely staying small because they want to be really exclusive to their customers. Mm-hmm. There's like a million ways to slice it. Just like I brought up that yeah. example earlier, but in general, uh, like just the sole 100% direct to consumer route, really difficult. I mean, if you have IP behind it, different story. If you are blessed to have created like an amazing brand, then different story. But, but that, so that's how I would guide people. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, so, I mean, that being said, you know, where can people get, go to get a hold of you? Maybe, you know, some businesses are listening to this and they're like, oh, this is exactly what we've been doing. Everything that perhaps could be wrong or, or we want to shift up our marketing strategy. They want to get a hold of whether it's, uh, they want to come on page one or they want to talk to you about page one or retail band or new air. Uh, you know, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah. Easy, easy. It's just find me on new uh, on LinkedIn. Okay. So just Luke Peters on LinkedIn. It's Luke dash dash Peters for my uh, vanity URL, but you can just look me up there. And, um, and for, uh, for retail band would love to um, offer a free site audit so we can go in there and just, and quickly create like a really customized deck. This is what we're doing for our clients right now. Mm -hmm. Create a, a really customized deck to show them how we can grow their business with them, with their team and kind of consult and also do a lot of the heavy lifting to grow their business on, you know, Wayfair, Home Depot, Amazon, Walmart, and, and all those other places in influencer marketing. Great. Great. And again, your, your podcast is page one podcast, knowing that most people are probably listening to this one right now and could easily search it. Yeah. So give it a listen. There's probably at least a couple episodes, even if you don't even touch that space, there's gotta be a couple episodes that are just gold anyways, I'm assuming if not every single one. Yeah. We, right? Well, we, because we get a pretty good, um, a good range of speakers. So a lot of brands or owners of brands, but then we have, you know, investment banker, um, IP attorney. So there's like a cool swath of people that we speak to. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you're, you know, working in HR or in finance within an organization, um, which are typically the people that listen to, to business talks, it, it doesn't hurt to know those things, right? It doesn't hurt to expand your learning. You're on the commute. I mean, the attorney one would be really interesting to me just to see how that all works out. And, yep. Um, maybe understand more what my clients go through. Some of my yeah, clients at least. Yeah. For sure. Okay. 100%. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for letting me use your studio and, and uh, it's been great. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Loved it. Thank you. All right.